A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This podcast is supported in part by the Bertha Foundation. Good evening, Lewis. Hello, Daniel. How are you? You know what? I'm I'm thoroughly exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say you sound sick. Uh, yeah, I'm not sick. I've had two COVID tests today, though, but they're both negative. I think it gets to the point where I get so busy, my voice becomes incredibly sexy. <laughs> mm, yeah, you're getting into. Um, SBS Up Late territory, which is exciting mm. for the show. The following program may contain nudity and traces <laughs> of nuts. SBS recommends viewing by immature audiences. Yeah, it's going around though. The um, Mardi Gras really brought back the resurgence of coronavirus in, in uh, <laughs> certainly in my friendship group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was wondering about that because you went to Mardi Gras. Did you get uh, a second dose of coronavirus by um, by? No. <laughs> I didn't go to the actual um, SCG, but I was oh. within, you know, I was in the zone about a K away mm. um, at a couple of parties. It was fun. It was nice to be out and about. Yeah. That was an interesting story. I don't know if you saw this great, this incredible story about one of the 78ers being arrested by the police because oh. she held up a sign saying, um, fuck Putin or something. And the police came up to her and said, you can't hold up a sign. It's offensive. She said, who am I offending? It's like, you, 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 this is a licensed venue. You can't hold up a sign because uh, it's political and therefore offensive. And she got arrested, this, this old 78er. It's incredible because Again. the Mardi Gras is entirely a political event. The whole thing is a political event. That's oh, wild. my God. That is wild. Just, you know, but the cops shouldn't be in the Mardi Gras at all. They should just get rid of them. No. They, yeah, I think that's probably right. Yeah, they should probably, um, they should probably um, uh, have the Defence Force run the Mardi Gras event. <laughs> you know, they're so- well, yeah, they're doing everything else. <laughs> Why not? Just pull them out of, pull them out of uh, the photo ops in Lismore, pull them out of the, uh, uh, I guess, old aged care facilities where they are now, and, um, yeah, get them in there. Get them out of the Medina apartments, stopping people from escaping <laughs> quarantine. Get them down to the Mardi Gras. 
Let's kick off the show. Let's We've got it. Damon Gamow on the line and we're going to be talking to him in just a second. But before we get to him, we'll talk about our comedy festival show as well. So here we go. I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on Gadigal land in the Eora Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. Irrational Fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, Fair Dickum and Section 44. Irrational Fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, with one in 100 year floods becoming more frequent, Scott Morrison renames them Miracle Floods. And Scott Morrison prepares for another miracle election win by visiting Lismore and attempting to walk on water. And we're all waiting for Scott Morrison to launch a new National Flood Coordination Committee to drain the Beetaloo Basin. (laughs) It's the 11th of March, 2022. This is Irrational Fear. I'm so tired. Irrational Fear. Honestly, I've never heard you sell those jokes with less <laughs> verve in 10 years. That was it. That was the rock bottom. Well, I just wanted to point out those jokes quickly. Like, it's so interesting. Like, I, I wrote that ScoMo National Floods Coordination Committee joke uh, at the end of February when the floods really took off um, throughout Queensland. And not seven days later to the date I put that tweet out, they actually gave $7.5 million for fracking in the Northern Territory. (laughs) It's like, we're not going to give out flood support, but we will pay for someone to drain the Beetaloo Basin. Yeah, we're going to get some of that moisture and just pump it into some seams, see what we can find. Uh, Speaking of moisture, Amy Ramikas had a great tweet today which made my heart swell. (laughs) Great segue. Uh, Well, well, yeah, moisture, Amy Ramikas, well-known, well-known wet person, Amy Ramikas. She tweeted, guess with so much of the East Coast underwater, the Prime Minister could declare anything to do with the floods as an on-water matter and refuse to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great from Amy. That's really good. Hey, we've got an absolutely huge comedy festival show um, coming up in about four weeks' time, Lewis. Uh, I, I assume you think. Yeah, it's it, it's the tenth of April, <laughs> so it's right. it's literally Far a month. Out. It's literally a month away, <laughs> and uh, I assume you've seen the lineup. Have you seen the lineup, Lewis? I, I saw a lot of this week. I, I found out on Twitter like everybody else, which is how I do all of my irrational fear planning. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Dan's tweeted out. Often, sometimes my girlfriend will be like, hey, you're doing a um, show at the forum with Grace Tame? I'm like, no, I'm not. And she's like, no, Dan just put it on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, fuck. That's amazing. Yeah, we have a huge lineup. So the problem is, Lewis, I booked, I accidentally booked the biggest room at the comedy festival. That means I now need to intentionally book the biggest lineup at the comedy festival. Uh, and that yeah. includes you and I, Alice Fraser Great. from The Bugle, who is, you know, Amazing. friend of the show, Gabby Bolt from The Chaser, and Crushing Gabby Bolt. Oh, and Gabby Bolt is absolutely, have you been following Gabby Bolt's escapades at the Adelaide Fringe? I have. Yeah, she's um, absolutely nailing it to no one's surprise, but to everyone's delight. Yeah, just absolutely nailing it. She won Best Comedy at the Adelaide Fringe uh, this week, which is amazing. She sold out her run after doing one show to like 12 people and now she's completely sold out. And her first show at Comedy Festival will be on stage with us uh, at the Irrational Fear, which is amazing. Dane Simpson from, you know, every other TV show that's going around at the moment is absolutely sensational. He's the best. And uh, Australian of the Year. Lewis Hobart, no, Australian of the Year, Grace Tame. (laughs) (laughs) 
Or you could probably get Dylan Alcott if you want um, two Australians of the year. That's a great uh, get a passing idea. Of the does Dylan? Does Dylan? Yeah. Does Dylan live in Melbourne? He does. Yeah. Yeah. I could. I could ask Dylan. See maybe what he's up to. Maybe we could have two. We could have an Australian of the year face off. That would be amazing. Yeah. Also, and DJ Andy McClellan is going to be holding the show together. Now that is. It oh is, my goodness! Best it, dressed man in comedy. Yeah. Pretty. Pretty wild. So, if you want to get your tickets, head to Irrational Fear. Look at look at the lineup page and get your tickets there. Also, if you are a Patreon supporter, you get a 25% discount. Then there's a limited available uh, number of tickets for Patreon supporters. So please um, snap up those tickets as quickly as you can. Getting quick because the Hobber family are all buying theirs. Um, so <laughs> there's going to be not much left by the time my all my Victorian family arrive. Did they even bother to come to uh, last year's comedy festival or were they just turning up to see Grace Time? <laughs> <laughs> no, they did actually come. They came to our show last year as well. They they were very they've always been very disappointed that as a Victorian we've never done a rational fear in Melbourne until last year. So um God. But I don't think they'll quite fill up the forum, but they'll sell out quickly once my parents get on the on on board. Yeah, great. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the entire Hobber clan take up one of the booths at the back of the forum. <laughs> it's such a fancy venue. Have you been to the forum since it got um, redone? It's it's way too nice for us. Uh, well, here's the thing. In the words, we're going to like, need to like wear suits. Well, <laughs> that's a great idea. That's a really good idea. Mm. It's a classy venue. In the words of the Blues Brothers, it's a fucking barn, and we'll never fill it. Like it's <laughs> it's got that edge. Of, it's got that feeling about it because mm. it's so huge. Which means we need, we need you know you and I should have a think about this. Like, what, what big thing we can do in the forum. I know it's only four weeks away and there's a lot going on in the world, yeah. but we should think about what's, what we're going to do. This podcast is a workshop now. If anyone has any ideas, please fucking let us well, know. No, it is a workshop and if you do have an idea, yeah, drop us a line and we'll include those ideas in the podcast. It's, mm. it's narrative building, which is wonderful. Um, we've got an excellent guest tonight, uh, Damon Gamow, who is a director, actor, activist, legend. Uh, he joins us right now. G'day, Damon. Hi, Dan. Hi, Lewis. Oh, it is, Hello. It is great to have you. It's, it's excellent to have you. Thank you so much for joining us on, on Irrational Fear. This is not like the standard format for Irrational Fear. I've decided to create a new format called Irrational Conversations. <laughs> okay. Uh, and that's the format that we roll out when I'm too lazy to book the original format. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's take that. We're coming for you, Richard Feidler. It's Conversations 2. <laughs> this time it's lazier. <laughs> Conversations quarter hour. That's what we're calling this. <laughs> I just saw Richard Filer in a lift this afternoon. He's going to be very angry at me tomorrow that we're stealing his bit. I'm sure. I'm sure he will be. <laughs> it's really exciting to have you, Damon. Um, you, for a long time, I've followed your work with 2040, and of course, um, uh, that Sugar movie which you made. Uh, it, now you've got a brand new kind of 17 minute hopeful kind of a treatise on what Australia could be like. Uh, you know, you've got Aboriginal voices to parliament, renters using solar panels, communities owning, owning their own power, utes being used to make money to power the grid, transparency and democracy. My question to you, Damon, is when did you move from making documentaries about sugar to making science fiction films? <laughs> Basically having two daughters really was the big wake up. The first one really I'd, I'd always been sort of interested in ecological things and climate, but I uh, didn't really understand it enough. And then once I had the daughter, the first daughter, it just suddenly raced to the top of the queue. And, and the more I sort of read about it and tried to engage with it, I just thought, oh, man, we, we need all storytellers or artists or yeah, musicians. Everyone needs to get hands on deck for this topic uh, and we need to change culture or try and shift it really, really quickly. So 
looked at some of the psychology around that, the neuroscience, and just sort of spoke to enough people that said that, you know, if we keep banging people over the head with this stuff, it can be paralyzing for a lot of people. So we need to offer up different narratives at the same time, not to shy away from those urgent narratives, but to also offer up and give people a sense of what life might be like on the other side of this crisis and let them feel the benefits, see how it would impact their lives and their communities. And so I guess that's the, the path I've taken. And, and 2040 obviously was that experiment, but we really saw how it did motivate people to get involved and, and bring to life some of the solutions that we showed in the film. So I guess this is a kind of another version of that, but closer to home, less global issues and more about our own country and what we could do in the next eight years uh, by, by 2030. And again, get people to feel all those benefits that would come from a transition. Certainly, I think one of the one of the reasons why, you know, we're doing this kind of com- in conversation theme show today is because the, the news, quite frankly, is so grim right now. Like it's mm-hmm. a little too hard to kind of talk about. I, I don't know about you, Lewis. I certainly feel like what we're going through right now in the east coast of Australia feels like 2020 bushfires all over again. And and yeah. and you have a pretty strange connection to this kind of period right now as well. Yeah, well, I live up there. I live up. I have lived up there for like six, the last six years. And um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to describe. I know everyone's sort of heard about it, but it was a bit of a war zone last week. Just to, just to experience a region that runs out of petrol and there's no food on the supermarket shelves, and you you know, see roads collapsing and landslides and, and lose internet and phone connection at the time you actually need it more than ever. Uh, it was an extraordinary moment. But I, I'll tell you that even though we're focusing a lot on on that dire scenario, just the, you know, these stories that are now emerging about what the community did, I, I just think that's the silver lining here, mm. that without any help and without any telecommunications, the kind of coordination and networking efforts that kicked in were just, like, really, I think there's a lot of lot to learn from what happened in terms of a few people that had satellite connections then took and fed all the things that were needed. They set up hubs. People came to those hubs and said, right, what do you need? I'm here to help. They, they generated kind of helicopter rides, excess fuel, mattresses, food, medicines, had people trekking in to rescue people. I mean, it was just an extraordinary decentralised process where egos were cast aside. If anyone tried to claim ownership, they were shunned to the side. <laughs> uh, and anyone who just, you know, it was just get on with it or, or go away. And just to see humans do that and have strangers, you know, scrubbing the mud off walls of people they'd never met or cooking meals or some of the kids just writing messages on the food containers saying, you know, stay well, I hope you're well, you know, just remarkable stuff. So this is what we're capable of as human beings. And to be honest, we we just deserve so much better because our leaders are the least amongst us, you know, (laughs) and we we deserve to be treated as we are, which is good human beings. But unfortunately, our system rewards sociopaths. And they're the ones that... (laughs) That is so true. Our system supports sociopaths. Oh, my God. Them to the top, and so then they get to set the rules of the game. So we are a, a group of largely altruists being governed by a small minority of, of sociopaths, and we've got to change that because if you look at ancient tribes and, and hunter gatherers, they ostracised that person for the tribe, they ridiculed <laughs> them or banished them. In some cases, they killed them because they knew it would destabilise the group, and we fucking reward them. And it's the ridiculous. sociopaths, the sociopaths started the system; they built the system so they Correct. could thrive. <laughs> Correct. And when are we going to wake up to that? You know, like it's not just climate. You look across any 
any organization right now. That's just how we operate. So we've oh, got to, unless we can change that flawed architecture, we're not going to get anywhere. The corporate world is filled with psychopaths, like stabbing each other to get to the top. It's just incredible. It's one of the highest rates here. I think it's 30% in the corporate sector. So well, that's where and, Lewis Hobb, that's how Lewis Hobber got to the top of his industry, just by. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've looked at that. I've, I look very um, worryingly at those list, top 10 lists of sociopaths because it's always like politicians at the top and then it's just like comedians are in there and then it's like and then there's actors and then there's a special type for radio hosts and I and then it goes into people who work in like the sort of corporate world and I'm like I feel like I'm ticking quite a few of those boxes. <laughs> You're going to get banished, Lewis. We're going to ostracize. No way. I'm going to become prime minister. I'll remember this conversation, Damon. Uh, Damon Gamo, you're on Lewis Hobbes' shit list. <laughs> yeah. Banish yeah. you to Siberia. Little from prison, Damo. <laughs> um, so where are you now, Damon? I'm in downtown Bendigo. So we we started oh. a tour. Uh, we opened in Sydney on Friday night and then we had an opening in Melbourne on Sunday night and then... Um, we're now on a, a tour of the country, 72 screenings um, in the lead up to the election and all around. So anyone that does want to see the film and come along, check it out. And a great discussion with panel afterwards and, and some live performers and First Nation speakers. And we're really trying to get people out and about again and communicating and talking face to face and then explaining what regeneration is and what it could be in this country and, and get them a bit more optimistic. I watched the film this evening. It was a, a delightful kind of very hopeful exercise in really short-circuiting your brain into thinking about what could be. And I think thinking about better futures is a whole part of bringing communities uh, with, with us on this journey. And I think it's such a really important tool to kind of to do that. I think it's a, a great little, a great little um, bit of content that hopefully folks will, will really connect with, Damon. Yeah, that was the point is that how can we, if we can't see it first, then how can we strive for it? And, and then so much in this climate story, we've told stories of, of sacrifice and depravity, all the things we have to give up. So people retreat to fear and they shut down and they disengage and think, well, this is all too hard. But to coax them and bring them along, we've got to show them the opportunities and get them to feel what it would be like to live in that community. And this is based on a, we did a four-month listening campaign with a really wide, diverse, you know, range of Australians. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You're going on a listening tour. You're going on a nationwide campaign. No, are, are you going to be running? You're going to be running for Parliament, Damon? Is this what's no. going to happen? No, thanks. I don't have the sociopathic things like Lewis does. <laughs> yeah, just send me your notes. Tell me what you want. Give me your wish list. I'll get it done. <laughs> it was just, I guess, that I didn't want it to be my vision. So we went and consulted and asked a whole group of Australians from Indigenous groups to tradies to farmers to teenagers and said, you know, what kind of country do you want in 2030? And so they're the ones that really shaped that narrative. And and overwhelmingly they talked about, you know, more thriving communities, a, a fixed regenerated democracy, amplified Indigenous voices, you know, action on climate change, all the things we talk about. They were saying it in slightly different ways. So farmers were talking about greener hills or clean rivers that existed in Australia 30 years ago, whereas teenagers are saying climate action. So there were, there were just points that we could agree on and find that commonality. Uh, and then really we talked about, you know, let's not make this a feature because people don't have that capacity anymore to sit down and, and in this space. It's got to be a TikTok video. It's got to go on TikTok. Well, much, you know, unfortunately, that's where we're at. You know, it's like, you know, after everything that's going on, no one's going to sit down and watch an hour and a half of, of the reef dying or, or the forest burning. We see it so much that I think we've got to be very strategic with our storytelling in this moment. And, yeah. and again, be careful who our messengers are, and that's why you've seen in the film, you know, Kerry O'Brien, Sandra Sully, these people that we've grown up and we're used to them delivering these messages that we trust, 
Or how about they read these different news stories that hopefully we see in the next 10 years? Yeah, and there's so many folks who you've kind of roped into this, Tim Flannery, Zali Stegel, David Pocock, mm. uh, mm. friend of the show, Patrick Abood, Georgie Tunney. Yeah, loads loads and loads and loads of folks, uh, different voices from everywhere. Damon, what the... Part of the um, research that you were doing that was talking about community, uh, that feels like the the more amorphous one that I don't, I'm curious to know what people meant when they were talking about that. So I guess a lot of the people we met uh, in regional areas were saying, you know, that we miss the Lions Club or the Sports Club where you could all go and get together and exchange face-to-face. And there was this huge, you know, community spirit like I talked about in, in the Northern Rivers right now of people coming together and interacting and helping. And that happened after the fires. But as soon as COVID kicked in, all that dissipated and people went back into their homes, they went online, they started reading different narratives about what was going on and it just destroyed and broke all that fabric of the community. So that's what they want back. It's like we want to be able to walk down the street and know the person, who, who, who the butcher, and know the guy who does the newspaper. And it's just that sense they want back. And, and because of this system that's eroded that and stripped it and jobs have been taken out of those communities, we've got this chance if we are going to move to a low-carbon economy to bring and keep the profits in those communities. You know, and this is where Helen Haynes and others are doing a great job where they're saying, well, if you're going to build a solar farm in our community, how about we propose a bill that keeps 20% of the profits in our community so all that money isn't just leaving this space? And I think that's how we've got to think about this holistically. It's not about just getting to net zero as fast as we can. We've got to do it in a way that's equitable, that restores lands and that keeps these communities thriving so, so we don't go down an American road where these people were left behind and they're voting for authoritarian nut jobs because they feel <laughs> they feel neglected, you know, and we've got to do that in this country and make sure we listen to these people. Totally, 100%. And there's so many great little examples of where that stuff is already happening, where community-owned power is happening, like, you know, Hepburn Amazing. Springs and other folks, other folk places like that. Yeah, where, yeah where, where folks have owned their own batteries, own their own windmills, own their own grid systems, and they are in charge of their own destiny and they are making bank, like making money <laughs> by selling that electricity to other cities next yeah. door. Like, there's, a, there's a project, a solar project down near Canberra where they had I think 260,000 investors. So they did an equity crowdfund so that all the community could buy a bit of that energy. Like that's the future. You know, that's because hmm. we don't want to get to net zero and have this enormous income inequality in a fractured society. That's just, it's no, there's no point. And if you want to buy a bit of Irrational Fears uh, energy, just go to <laughs> irrationalfear.com, join up to the Patreon, chip in $3 a month. You can be a shareholder of Irrational Fear. <laughs> it's just like microbreweries for power. Yeah, that's exactly. it. Yeah, that's it. Decentralize it. <laughs> Obviously, um, opinions and voices that you listened to that made the film were, were very positive and, you know, had the vision that they had. Was there anyone out there going, you know what, in 2030, I just want to have some nut job in charge. I don't want to have it. I don't have to make any decisions. Uh, I just want the lizard people gotten rid of. Like, was there anyone out there who you were like, whoa, we'll take that on board? There were a couple of loose cannons and, and they were just talking about, it was more that they'd given up. They were like, you know, right. I appreciate what you're trying to do, but we're fucked. You know, like right. there's nothing we can do. That sort of, and, and that's really dangerous, right? That yeah. nihilism where you do just retreat to Netflix and more bottles of wine. Well, it's all too hard. And to be honest, that is a narrative that's been perpetuated by the fossil fuel industry through the since the 90s because they know if people don't think it's possible, they'll just disengage and shut off and won't even care. So there was a bit of that and, and it really was down to the disillusionment around our, our democracy and how much money is in the system now and how no one really represents their values. 
which again is why I think we're just seeing this incredible resurgence of independence because these are people that genuinely represent their, their, their values. And we've got people like Helen or Kathy McGowan that are taking their constituents into Parliament House to teach them about democracy. I mean, yeah. She rotates people. I mean, what a, that's democracy. And yeah. so when people see that, they go, all right, I want some of that instead of this stiff, you know, posturing, spin, party <laughs> nonsense that we've got for so long in this country. People are just fed up. You know, so I think this is an incredible moment, really, quite potentially a historic moment in our country where uh, we had Simon Holmes of court uh, on our panel the other night in Melbourne and even he's saying how surprised he is at the momentum they've gained and that, you know, seven to nine of them have a legitimate shot. They're far ahead of the expectations where he thought they'd be. So far out. If we had three or four independents win, we, we would potentially wake up to a different country the next day and head off in a very different direction around climate. So, yeah. you know, it is important. This, this is a big moment for our country. Damon, can I just ask you something? You're just an actor. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> You're right, mate. I'm just an actor. I'm actually a dad who, who just <laughs> is scared shitless. And so I went and spoke oh. to a shit ton of scientists over the last six years and just tried to help the communication process because, as you know, we love it. These scientists are so amazing. Yep. Sometimes they speak in, in a language that's just like, huh? We, we don't know what 1.5 degree means. We don't want to anthropogenic means. We don't know what net zero even means, most of us. So I think, you know, artists, musicians, songwriters can help those scientists and, and try and disseminate some of that complexity and, and put it into language that might help people or move them emotionally. Yeah. I, I just want more filmmakers to do that. So that's my role. I don't pretend to be the expert in this stuff, but I just happen to speak regularly to some incredible people around the world that, that really, um, you know, fuel me up and keep me going and and I just want to help amplify their messages. The vision that you have in the film, is there, like, I guess I don't know, is is that possible? Like, is it is it pure fantasy? Is it like let's try, let's aim for the stars and land on the cloud or whatever? Or is scientists going like, no, 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 like with the right will, this is actually achievable in this time? A hundred percent. So we made sure that everything there is already happening or scalable. And it is, as Dan mentioned, there are solar gardens there. There's a, you know, a, a, a bi- bi-directional charger that goes into a battery to, to power your home. That, that's already here, that you can do that in a Nissan Leaf right now. And, in fact, that battery is about three or four times bigger than a power wall, a Tesla power wall that you'll get. So some people are already charging up their cars at the local, you know, charging station and then running their house off it because they can do that already. So it's just about scaling up all these things. I love that. I love, and, that. I love that. I love going to Westfield to charge up my car to bring it home to run the house. Like, <laughs> thank That's you, Hoyts. <laughs> yeah, it's really changing the perception of, like, living in your van. You're like, well, I'm living in my in my car, but it's kind of just my Nissan Leaf, which is also my house. It's very confusing. <laughs> That's right. But this is this is how, how transformational this could be. We show in the film that for tradies, you know, you can go and plug in all your power tools, run the generator off, off the battery in your ute. I mean, that's that's on our doorstep. It's already happening in America and other countries. So absolutely it had to feel plausible and real. Otherwise, it's what's the point of it? If it's too utopian and too far removed, then, then it's an, an impossible goal and people would switch off from it. So, no, it's very tangible and practical. Damon, I don't know if you know, this podcast is all about kind of communicating similar messages. We have had lots of great brains on the show in the, in the, uh, over the last few years talking about this. In fact, the name A Rational Fear stems from the idea back in 2012 when we started the show that no one in the media was talking about climate change uh, and all they were talking about were irrational fears. So we wanted to talk about the rational fears. Uh, so it feels like, you know, for 10 years, this podcast has been, you know, part of that conversation. It feels like right now there is a huge momentum and you can feel it 
You can you can feel yeah. it in the streets. I was at the pub today, uh, and I saw two old blokes who were on the table next to me, and they were just they were talking about the floods. They were talking about the lack of funding for the floods, and then they yeah. launched into a complex analysis of Mike Cannon Brooks's deal with AGL. <laughs> and these guys are like 70, 80. Um, right. They were a couple of beers in, going, "Oh yeah, they just, you know buy the whole thing, shut it down, start something brand new." That's uh, and I was just like, "Oh my god, that is that was a moment for me today." I was like, this could be something extraordinary yeah. right now. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me of Paul Hawken, who I know, work with a lot. He he always says this: is that the, the weather isn't going to the weather is going to be the thing that makes this the great, the biggest movement in human history. Because each time we have a big event like this, you lose another chunk of deniers, and more people come on side and think, right, okay, there was a big flood in Lismore, then we had a fire, now we've got another flood. All right, this is a bit unusual. Well, that's another record flood. I've never seen that in Sydney, running down the streets in Manly. So you start to go, okay, maybe this isn't woo-woo. We don't need to believe a paper or an IPCC report. We can actually feel it in our shoes and see it running down the street. So, yeah. It speaks to resilience right now, right? Like it speaks like people are seeing this and they're like, you know, I'm in the position now where I'm looking at buying houses, like a, not houses, a house yeah. to live in. <laughs> and, and so it's one of those things where I'm like, right, okay, where do we live? Where's climate resilient? Yeah. Where do we buy? How do we, when we buy, how do we, exactly. how do we make our house climate resilient to be, you know, yeah. safe against bushfires and floods and, and, and COVID? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And again, I think of the people in Lismore and some of my friends is, they're not going to build there. They, they rebuilt uh, five years ago and now they're thinking, where the hell are we going to go? So we, we've got legitimate climate refugees in this country right now. Yeah. You, know, you could argue that Malakuta and those bushfires are the same, but absolutely Leesmore, like Norco, which is the big built company there, they're not going to stay there. They're going to go somewhere else. Why would you rebuild there? Because you know what's coming. So, you know, that's the, the, the dilemma we have now here because we've left it so late. We've got to also mitigate while we're implementing the solutions at the same time. So there's this huge infrastructure that yeah. has to happen to protect us from what's coming. But at the same time, we need to sort of flip all of our systems. But, you know, I think we can do it. I absolutely think we can do it because of that groundswell that's now there and and, and, and more and more people are on board. Mm. It's uh, May is going to be real crunch time and <laughs> it feels like, the last chance, like May, like the May election, honestly, for Australia yep. uh, is sure it's an important election for Australia, but I feel like honestly, it is a very important election for the world because it'll determine how much gigatons of carbon get released from Australia and get put into the atmosphere all from the being burnt all around the world. That is our carbon. And it feels like this election in Australia is, is probably the, well, like one of the most important in the world. Well, also because we're such, we drag our feet so much in any sort of international conference that people end up like lowering the bar of expectation to meet our low bar. Yeah. So it's not just Australia, it does affect the world. Totally right. And uh, Damon, I loved in your video, you had a line in there that I'm pretty fond of, which is we need to lead our leaders. And I think that is a really lovely, a really lovely mm-hmm. sentiment. And there's something that you know, I've been thinking a lot, particularly since COP, you know, about that, you know. Oh. Well, this is how history's always worked historically. There's never been a, a government that's sort of set off in a direction. It's always come from pressure. And that's, you know, whether that's the human rights movement or the suffragettes or the abolitionists, whatever it is, they've always put the pressure and then finally they've succumbed. I mean, I, my the favourite story is the, the, the suffragettes 
which obviously in the, in the late sort of 19th century were right on the cusp of something. And even the, the president, Grover Cleveland in 1905, who was the US president, said, no sensible woman wants to vote. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then literally 10 years later, look what happened. You know, so this has happened before. And, and again, with the abolitionists, all those people that didn't want to change were saying, if we give up slaves, the other country will have an economic advantage. Exactly what we're saying about fossil fuels. And then that shifted so quickly. So, you know, we've just got to keep going and we've just got to trust that the damn wall is going to break very soon. And you can feel it right now. The discussions in politics, the discussion of the corporate sector has never been higher in terms of what's going on. And, and I think a lot of these groups that I speak to, they want to change. They're just so enmeshed in the old system and, and the structures and the policies that have protected that old system that they're really struggling to know how to get out of it and unravel quickly. And so that's the dilemma for a lot of them. But they are having the conversations, even, you know, top banks, all these kind of organisations, because uh, they've got kids and they can see the floods. They know what's happening. Yeah. Um, so I guess that gives me hope that it's just we're not too far away from what could be a really dramatic change in the direction we head. I saw Matt Canavan put out a an article this week saying that ESG accounting is going to bring evil upon the world. Uh, ESG is uh, environmental, sustainable and governance accounting. Uh, and it's the way all these big institutions are moving, moving away from uh, gross profit accounting and profits. They're, they're, they're trying to think about ways to account for the good of a business aside from profit. And it's just so funny that Matt Canavan said, said that this new way is actually going to bring evil upon the world. <laughs> when the evil right now that is facing the world is due to people like Matt Canavan and his <laughs> love of fossil fuels, you know. Yeah, it's extraordinary. And just how interconnected, like that was what shocked me, was just once it was really laid bare how much money was invested in Russian oil and gas and, and from companies all around the world and countries and even our own country, you know, our some of our biggest super funds, you know, huge hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars propping up this war machine. Let's, let's be frank, 40% of Russians' incomes comes from their coal and gas, uh, sorry, oil and gas. So we have to be very honest about what our money is doing yeah. and be very smart about and, and really think about what impact it's having. If we're really going to believe in ESGs, we're, we're being, it's being exposed right now with climate and the war. It's like where is your money and, and what's it actually contributing to? Yeah. The big stat is that, you know, Australia is the third largest exporter of fossil fuels behind Saudi Arabia and Russia. But now that Russia isn't selling, does that make us second, baby? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> second. Oh, this is great. We're moving up the table of bad people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, obviously um, noted uh, climate hero Elon Musk this week was also tweeting. He's like, look, us. I don't want to say it, but we got to start getting more oil and gas out of the ground. It's like you own an electric car company. That's that's your business. Uh, yeah, let's not start on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Damon, um, thank you very much. Before we go, you know, uh, we were in a conversation oh. in October <laughs> around uh, the around COP26 uh, when the Rational Fear Joke Keeper billboard campaign uh, funded by 2,000 Australians went into high gear. Is this how gear. you're buying your houses? Is this how you're getting your houses <laughs> through that campaign? How much do you think $190,000 buys in billboards? It, it <laughs> does, it, you know, it, <laughs> every, here's the thing, you know, Clive Palmer spending $80 million dollars in yes. advertising and they're like every time somebody sees an ad someone tags me in it and it's like oh daniel you need to buy a billboard here i'm like dude the billboard money's gone like there's i've spent yeah. it all on billboards it doesn't, it doesn't buy you very much you could just buy six billboards dan and shape them into a sort of long house 
I bought about tiny home. I bought about like twenty five billboards or something like that. You know, so that's how much it gets you. But billboards in Times Square are expensive, people. It's very expensive. (laughs) Um, But one of the billboards we tried to get uh, was actually animating our billboards on the side of the SEC armadillo in uh, in Glasgow. Uh, But it didn't kind of come to fruition, Damo. Tell us what what happened there. Like you know, I I went on the project. I put my personal integrity on the line. Well, you know, people go on the project. They do that too. Uh, it's a risk. It's a risk. <laughs> but I put my personal ticket in line in Australian media and told people that we would we would animate the billboard and on the I, side of the convention centre. What happened there? I have to I have to publicly apologise to you, and I I felt such waves of shame around that because <laughs> I'll just tell you the story that we were invited by a cop to. So they basically said to us, "You've got four hours." to project whatever you like on the Friday night, prime time, with all the delegates there, you can project whatever you like on the building. And so that's when I reached out to you. And then we started sending their proposals and they started saying, mm, yeah, no, you can't do that. That's too accurate. And we'd modify it and they'd say, no, no, you can't do that. And so we just got this watered down and it really, to be honest, really exposed how inadequate COP is. And it makes sense because we've had 26 of them and our emissions have raised, you know, almost 50% since we've had them, but just their their lack of willingness to actually call out the truth. We even got to a point where we said, can we just list the top three emitters of, of, of um, fossil fuels and, and like, the, the you know, yeah. Russia and Australia? And No, nah, you can't even do that. Can we even have this young Australian saying, I hope my leaders switch to more renewable energy and utilise all the sun? No, you can't do that. What? So it was a really demoralising <laughs> process for us. So we ended up doing this really saccharine, safe, you know, eco porn shots of last nature and whales. Just it stuff was like just like beyond so petroleum. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> it was really sad actually, and we had some really you know heated debates of them saying, "Here we are, like really, you, you've just uh, had an IPCC report saying a code red for humanity, and we can't even you know we're, our hands are tied." So I apologise, mate, because I really did think we had a great chance to do something exciting there. And we just got absolutely cop washed. We got cop locked. We got cop lock. Yeah, cop lock. Yeah. So that's totally fine. Like, and when you said, "Oh yeah, you can do whatever you want," I was like, "No, he's not. No, he's wrong about that. He hasn't. He hasn't run this by anyone. (laughs) He hasn't. He hasn't done a lot of these UN things in the past, has he? You know, (laughs) this is not his first. Is this his first radio? I don't know. I don't think so. No, they said it. They those are their exact words. And um, they said, "Yeah, please go. We want to be edgy. We want to be bold." So Mm. okay. Here's some Classic whales. client. <laughs> Damon, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about your Regen project. Um, what's the name of the film, actually? It's called Regenerating Australia, and uh, we're touring the country right now. And I, what I didn't say, which is really exciting, is that WWF have put up $2 million as a fund off the back of it. So any community that watches the film and sees something that resonates, like a community battery or an urban food project, they can apply for that money and there's, that money and there's subject matter experts to take them through the process, develop the idea. So really, again, this is this idea of taking the power back into our own hands and, and getting it done uh, ourselves. So really that's why we're encouraging people to come along. And I, I must admit, even since the floods, just the, the screenings have been a lot more uh, full and really great questions. So it's a good night to have a discussion about where we're headed. What's next on your tour, the next couple of dates? Uh, Shepparton tomorrow, then Yakandanda, and then through other parts of the Benalla, and then back through Melbourne, then into Sydney, then regional New South Wales, Queensland, WA, Tassie, South Australia. We're doing it all, just uh, trying to get it done before the election. Amazing. Well, good luck, and um, uh, I hope to catch a screening in Sydney. That would be, um, be absolutely awesome. Uh, yeah, to come be, and join us. 
jump on a panel if you want to. Come and um, be part of the conversation. Mate, I'm just a comedian. I don't know what's fun or what's fucking going on. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got so much time. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, there was um, uh, Peter Fitzsimons put out a tweet earlier this week saying, which comedians are like Zelensky that we can follow into battle? Oh, fuck. Oh, I'm going to put up Mark Humphreys and Dan Illich. And everyone's like, yeah, Dan Illich. And I'm like, no, don't. I, I'm, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to lead us into battle. Thanks very much. I'm, I'm really. I'm really, I'm, new house. I'm really busy. I, yeah, buying multiple houses, and uh, and I've got to get an acai bowl. And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I spent the last week trying to buy the last dehumidifier in Sydney. So got no time to run for PM. Oh, oh. Do you do you have mushrooms in your ceiling yet, Lewis? Oh yeah, I've, my house is riddled with mold. Oh, I've never experienced anything like it. Yeah, and obviously, again, goes without saying, in the spectrum of people suffering this country i am not in on the list no yeah um but yeah never uh never experienced anything like this it's um yeah and everyone everyone i've spoken to in sydney is just like oh yeah my my jeans have got mold my shoes have got mold everything's just fucking covered in mold it's like this is just the weight i'm like i feel like this is you know in war of the worlds when you're like the thing that brought them down in the end was not even the aliens it was the particles and i'm like <laughs> fuck where are the aliens? It's well, going to be fucking black mold. We're all going to drop dead in two Lewis, years. that's it. The thing that brought us down is CO2. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, fuck, I was worried about the nuclear war. It should have been the fucking mold. I did the briefing podcast about the news. Tom Tilly had me on a few weeks ago and he grilled me uh, as if I was a politician about climate <laughs> change being an election issue. He's like, but Dan, do people really care about climate change? And I'm like, I don't know, Tom. Yeah, they they do. It's like, what's your proof? And like, like he was like grilling me as if I was on two GB, and yeah. and I was Gladys Berejiklian. Like it was, it was. It was I got a, a cop, and like I know Tom. I'm friendly with Tom. <laughs> I, I, I would like to think we were friends, but the grilling was so bad. I walked away going, "What the fuck just happened there? Why did I get grilled so bad about climate change being an election issue?" And it was, of course, before these floods and before La Nina, and it fucking is an election issue. I reckon it's the number one election issue around the country right now. Well, the other crazy thing is, uh, obviously, Tom's a, a very dear friend of mine, but hey, we worked at Triple J for many years together, and every year Hack would do a giant survey of the entire country of being like, what is the number one issue? And for young Australians, every fucking year for like the last five years, it's been climate change. So he's seen the research. He's, he knows it. He's seen the same research I have. We get told it every year. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Damon, thank you so much. We'll put um, the links to folks where folks can go see Regenerate Australia in the show notes. So please go check that out. How can people support you otherwise, Damon? Take some action on climate change. That'd be good. I've got a few social media accounts. And then we have a, a platform called The Regenerators, which we're just about to launch, which is a big hub for regenerative storytelling and actions linked to organisations that are doing things. We've got a new sort of social platform where you can share uh, ideas with people right around the world that are doing these kind of solutions and learn from them. And so that all comes online in two weeks. So look out for that, the regenerators. Excellent. A new social media platform. Well, I can't wait to get on there and share some views about ivermectin. No, it's a social action platform. <laughs> oh, okay. So all right, all right. Information. <laughs> it's for people that want to actually do stuff, um, which <laughs> I think we really need right now. But please, yeah, jump on and have, start an ivermectin pod and a hydrochloricoxacuna, whatever it's called. Thank you. <laughs> That's it for Rational Fear. Big thank you to all of our Patreon members. Thank you so much also to the Bertha Foundation, uh, Jacob Round on the Teppanyaki Timeline, Road Mics. We have Comedy Festival tickets on sale now. Please check out irrationalfear.com for that information or comedy.com.au for that information. And just reminding everyone once again, it's the biggest room in Melbourne uh, and we really need you to buy tickets. (laughs) 
<laughs> but genuinely, it's going to be amazing. Like I, yeah. I've, I, I, I was shocked. Like I was excited about about doing the show. Love going back to you know the my birthplace to do comedy. Yeah. Loving it. But then when I saw that lineup, I was like. Oh, this would be fucking great. Everyone should come to this. We had Simon Holmes a court on our on our comedy festival uh, show last year, and that was awesome this She's year. Great. Grace Grace is actually going to do comedy. She's not an interview guest. She's actually going to do comedy. I think Grace Tame is one of the funniest people. I know. Uh, no, I just Cal, she's going to be so much funnier. Than I, I know. Gonna be fucking it's demoralizing. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the worst. Like, obviously, power to her, but it's going to be the fucking worst. I'm like, is, is this a hobby for you? And you're better at it than me. <laughs> Uh, it's really good. Uh, I'm excited and hopefully we can get Grace, Gabby and uh, Alice to maybe collab on something. That would be fun. Also, I'm going to try and find one. I, there's like, we got what, one spot left on stage, so I'm going to be hunting down one more big, awesome name to join us on stage. Dave Hughes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Come along. I saw Dave Hughes down the road at Bondi Beach the other day and he's like, Dan, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just going for a swim. I'm going for a swim too. Come on the podcast. He's like, you've got my details. Just tell me. And I'm like, I think I'll lose some Patreon supporters if you come on the podcast, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you'll sell out the forum in 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, big thank you to everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this great conversation. And Damon, um, good luck with the tour. Thanks. All the best. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.